Hello, and welcome to another episode of Red Pill Blue Blood. Sorry, the audio sounds a little weird. I'm not sure why, but it does not sound like that for the interview, just for this intro, because it's on a different mic. Anyway, in this episode, I speak with Madison Palika, a self-described ex-Mormon. Obviously, there are some things that we will disagree on, but you may be surprised about how much we agree on, given the one fact I gave to you about her. Among the things we discuss in this conversation is the history of church with communism in the UN, and particularly Madison's concern about the apparent involvement of Jeffrey R. Holland and David A. Bednar with the 10 Principles of Climate Repentance announced last month at COP27. Well, all that and much more, so let's get started. I'm Luke Hansen, and this is Red Pill Blue Blood. Welcome to another episode of Red Pill Blue Blood. Before we get started, if you enjoy this podcast, I ask that you please give this a rating on Apple or Spotify and share with those that you think would find it useful. Thank you. So I am here with Madison Palika. Hi. Did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And we met, I guess you would say, over a post that conservatives at BYU put on their Instagram talking about a climate change forum that BYU was doing. And you commented and people were interacting. It was interesting. I went and looked at your page and I'll let you explain everything. But from what I can tell, you are a former Latter-day Saint who left, who became New Age, who's now a uh, would you call it like a born again type of Christian? Yeah. Who attends church uh, here in the area? Yep. So I said you sound very interesting to talk to because we had a respectful conversation right. on uh, on social media, which isn't always the case. True. <laughs> so I said this seems like a, a good thing to see if we can get together and have a more formal in person mm-hmm. dialogue about stuff. So yeah, yeah, tell us your story. How'd you get right. to where you were? Well, first. Um, just because, yeah, we met through the Conservatives of BYU page. I thought it'd be fun to wear my USA sweatshirt. Oh, very nice. I got my little flag, so I thought that was kind of fun. But, yeah, so my story, how long do we want it to go? I feel like it's so complex, but I'll just kind of stick to the key points. Um, so, yeah, I was born in Utah, but my parents, my dad was from California, my mom is from Tennessee. So my dad grew up, I believe, in the Greek Orthodox Church. My grandma is from Greece, so I'm a quarter Greek. And then my mom was Southern Baptist. So around, I think it was my dad's mid-20s, they already had gotten married. He, well, they were kind of like searching for churches together, like what they believed in, where they wanted to go. And I think my mom was actually out of town when the Mormon missionaries came through. And they spoke to my dad, and he felt really called to it, so he ended up converting. And my mom was kind of, like, blindsided almost, and she was like, I don't know about this whole thing. So he converted, and my mom didn't. So I was raised always with, like, one foot in the church and one foot out. So I had this really unique perspective here where, I mean, me and my sisters, we were all raised in the church, uh, baptized at eight, you know, did everything. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I could kind of see this perspective where my mom, because she wasn't a member, was treated very differently. 
And I don't think that it's necessarily, like, on purpose, but I just think that, like, when you grow up Mormon and that's all you know, when you meet someone who's not Mormon, it's kind of like, oh, like, you're not really one of us, kind of. Mm -hmm. So she got treated differently, and I felt like I got judgment even from it. Like, I remember being in middle school, and my friend's parents, we were, like, in a car with a bunch of people, all of our friends, and they, like, stopped the music and, like, stopped everyone talking. And we're like, Maddie, so your mom's not a member. And it was just, like, this really, like, traumatic experience for me at, like, 12 or 13 years old or whatever. But so, yeah, I could see this perspective of, like, this is what people who aren't in the church get treated like. Um, and this is what it's like being in the church. Um, obviously, there is that kind of culture of, like, almost like a perfectionism or, like, trying to maintain the image of, like, being really good and perfect. So, yeah, I just felt, like, excluded. And in my point of view, it was, like, my parents were great people. My mom would go to church with us. She even taught one of the classes. Like, she taught the 16-year-olds with my dad. And she was trying, you know, but she just, I don't know, never felt called to it and never really was able to gain her own testimony. So after like 35 years, she still is not a member. And my dad still is. Uh, me and my three, two sisters, we have all left. Um, Are these older or younger? Older sisters. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, like what, in order or kind of all together around the same time? I don't even know that it was necessarily like a, hey, we're making an exit. But it was more kind of like. Like, instead of going to all three hours, they would, like, go to just sacrament. And then sometimes it'd be like, uh, I don't really want to go to sacrament. And then over time, I was like, I don't know if I even really, like, believe this. So I think for them, it was more of, a cr like, a gradual transition. But, yeah, for me, I was like, I just, I think it was around, like, 16 to 18 where I was like, I feel like I need to, like, see what else there is in the world because, like, I felt like I was living in a bubble, and it was like everyone I saw would, yeah, go through that same routine where it's like you grow up in the church, you get baptized, you do the girls camp and everything like that, at least for girls. And then if you're a guy, you go on your mission. When you come home, you get married, you have babies and you repeat that same cycle. And I was like, what else is there? Like, there's got to be something else. Like, what else do people do? So when I was 18, I decided to go to Texas for college I went to Texas Christian University thinking that it would be like this nice Christian experience. Which city was this in? This is in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. So it's like 45 minutes from Dallas. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I thought it was just going to have like this nice Christian like foundation. And then I got there and realized that it's a huge party school. And my dad calls it T Silent CU, which is like an accurate picture. Um, and I just had like a culture shock. So I was around all these people who did not act Christian, you know, and they didn't really enforce Christian rules on the campus. And it was just like scary. And there were all these liberals there who it was like when I would say like, oh, yeah, I'm from Utah. I'm Mormon. People thought I was like an alien. So it'd be like, oh, my gosh, like, do you have magic underwear or like how many moms do you have? And they're being dead serious. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is really in Fort Worth. really, Yeah. Yeah, like, this is the outside perception of Mormons. Like, that's so weird. So I would, like, make these friendships, or I got this one boyfriend who was, like, deeply liberal. And he would ask me things that I didn't have the answers to. 
basically just like, what do you guys believe? Like, why do you believe it? And at that time, it was like 2015, 2016, and gay marriage was like the big social issue. Mm -hmm. So I remember him asking, like, why do you not believe that gay people should get married? And I was like, because that's what the church says. Like, we don't believe in my religion that they should get married. And he was like, okay, but why? And I just didn't have anything. And I was like, I believe these things that I don't even know why I believe them or, like, what they mean. So it was from there. And the position that you're in when this stuff is happening is you've already kind of been like, I'll go to one hour of church or maybe won't go this week because there's something interesting going on. You were were kind of being both your parents at the same time, I guess you could say, when you're confronted with this situation. Yeah, so they kind of let us have, like, our own spiritual development where it was like, we did go to church, like, as long as we were young and they could control us, kind of. It was like, obviously, we went to church. And then when we got older, it was like, if mom has a choice, then you guys have a choice, too. Like, you can choose to go. You can choose mm-hmm. to not go. Like, it's up to you from here. So, yeah, that was where I was at. Went to Texas, had this huge culture shock, and then realized, like, I don't know why I believe in the things that I say I believe in. So, from there, I started, yeah, doing my own research and, like, starting to actually like, Google the church and, like, get to know what they believe and why they believe it. And just through this whole process, it's, like, when you start to Google the church, these things pop up that you've never talked about in church or, like, never really been informed of, just, like, like things about their history or, like, Joseph Smith and polygamy type stuff. And then eventually I made it to the CES letter. I'm sure you know what that is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I got to the CES letter and, like, that totally broke my whole foundation where it was like, I don't know if any of this is true. So at that point, it was like, I don't know what's true. I feel like I've been lied to. I don't know if God is real. Like, if this church isn't real, like, does God even exist? So I kind of went through this, like, it was honestly like a deep depression phase of my life where I was like, I don't know anything. Like, I don't know the truth from anything. I have no idea. So that was when I kind of ventured into New Age. I know a lot of people don't know what New Age means. For me, it's like this spiritual buffet where, like, you go and you look at these different religions and it's like, that sounds nice and this sounds nice. And you kind of just, like, pick the things you like and put it in your basket and you're like, this is what I believe in. So I was this mix of, like, Buddhism, Hinduism. I ventured into, like, witchcraft, um, the occult. I was doing things like full moon rituals and... Like crystal healing. Do I want to know what those are? Or it's basically it's really just like it's like the old biblical paganism, where like you worship the stars and the planets and the seasons and the earth instead of worshiping the creator of those things. It's like you love mm-hmm. the creation. So I'd be like, oh, we're all the universe, and like God is me and God is you, and we're all one, and like that hippie kind of stuff. So I did that for a while and like I thought it was great, but I did have some like, I don't know, kind of like weird spiritual experiences. I'd never really had spiritual experiences before, but I got into this like alternative spirituality and I was just like dealing with things like lucid dreaming, like really intense or I don't know if you've ever heard of astral projection. I mean, I watched Doctor Strange. (laughs) 
That's I it. haven't seen Doctor Strange. <laughs> okay. I think that's what they call it. It's like your spirit goes out of your body. Yes. It goes on like a, a trip. Yes. So I wanted to do that so badly. And I actually did do it once. But it was like it was a scary dream that led into it. And it was like I literally like came up out of my body. And I was like, that's so weird. Like, I don't know. Like I thought I had woken up and sat up in my bed. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I thought I was about to astral project. Like, I guess not. And then I laid down and then I woke up and I was like, oh, my gosh, I was literally doing it. Uh So like that kind of stuff would happen. And like there was one experience where I don't know if it was an astral projection or a lucid dream, but it was like I could see my body and it looked like there were like demonic spirits like entering into my body. Mm -hmm. And from there I was like, I don't know if I feel safe with this. So I was having these, like, weird random experiences. This was about 2019, 2020. So COVID hits. Everything locks down. There's all this stuff coming out about, like, I don't know, like, the Pizzagate conspiracies and just, like, the satanic elite stuff, all this different stuff. And because it was, like, I wasn't working. I was trying to build my online business. I was locked down at home. And I do have, like, different illnesses. So at this point in time, I was like, oh, if I get sick, like, I'm going to die. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting my butt at home. And I just did all this research. And everything started pointing towards, like, Christ and the Bible and Christianity. And, like, when I was in this alternative spirituality, I was liberal. I was deeply liberal. I was, like, <laughs> I don't even know. I, like, was all for the climate change stuff, like, very much snowflake and back then, what would your opinion have been of the like tomato soup on Van Gogh paintings type of stuff? Would you have been like, yeah, that's what we need oh, to do? Oh, for or? sure. I okay. was like, Greta Thunberg is such an inspiration, that kind of stuff. Even mm-hmm. when COVID broke out, it was like I had this belief from the spiritual stuff that I had studied that genuinely the earth was overpopulated. So when COVID broke out, I was like, oh, yes, people are going to die. Yikes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, that doesn't seem very loving or spiritual, but, like, I love the planet and it's best for all humans. So, like, if they die from COVID, then I guess, like, that was their divine destiny and they are going to help the planet. And they're the stupid ones anyways. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like evolutionary thing. (laughs) That spiritual pride where it's Uh like, I know better than everyone and, like, the dumb ones, the Republicans can die. Like, Mm -hmm. that was genuinely my mindset. So I was doing all this research, started pointing to Christ, Christianity, and I was like, Christianity is the patriarchy. Like, they are the cause of all problems in the world, all this different stuff. But it kept coming up over and over and over where I was like, I'm just going to have to, like, give it a chance. So I started to actually listen to, like, some short sermons. I started to actually uh, read the Bible. I got this version called the NLT. It's called the New Living Translation. Mm -hmm. So it was just, like, plain English. Because that was always my problem in the Mormon church, too, was, like, I don't understand these scriptures. It's so difficult to read, and I'd get frustrated, and I'd quit. So I started reading the Bible. I just, like, went through the Gospels, and my Bible's a study Bible, so it has, like, it explains, like, the historical context and just, like, I don't know, anything that's confusing, it kind of explains it to you. So, yeah, I started doing that, and after not that long of a time, I was, like, I want to give absolutely all of my life up for Christ. And I read Deuteronomy, too, where it's like divination because I was doing like tarot cards 
trying mm-hmm. to channel spirits. And it's like divination is an abomination. Like witchcraft, sorcery is an abomination. And I was in the mindset that like all those things were of God and like good. And then the Bible was saying, God hates these things. Do not do them. Like God detests these. And then I was like, crap. Like I got to throw everything in my life away. So I, I'm I curious what, because you're coming at the Bible like uh, to find out if it's true or good. Mm-hmm. So what made you, when you would read those things in the Bible, say, oh, this other stuff must be wrong instead of saying, oh, it looks like the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. If right. that makes sense. Was it just like you said experiences with Christ and all that so that mm-hmm. you kind of have this uh, well, I, in the Mormon dialogue, you would say uh, the Holy Ghost right. inspiring you, personal revelation type of stuff. Right. Is that what you would describe I feel like happening. it was like a combination of different things. One of the really big ones was just listening to other people's testimonies and like specifically people who were in all the stuff that I was in and like why they gave it up and like how their life changed after meeting Christ. Whether it was like like some people would actually have encounters with Christ like on psychedelics or like doing ayahuasca, if you know what that is. Uh, only by the name. But right. Yeah. It's like this. I've never done it, but. Yeah, it's like this healing medicine that basically is like a psychedelic. So it's like you go into a a trip and like have this like spiritual experience. So mm-hmm. people would do that because they believed it was healing. And so some people would be in the midst of one of those and they would actually meet Jesus. And then they'd come out and be like, I'm never doing this ever again. Like I'm giving my whole life up because I just met Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it was like reading and like listening to those testimonies was part of it. And then part of it was noticing, like, I did have those red flags in the back of my mind of, like, I did this thing, like, the astral projection thing, and, like, that scared me. Like, it deeply scared me that, like, Mm -hmm. demons were entering my body. And it was like, that's obviously a red flag. And then to hear the Bible say, like, these are, like, basically unsafe spiritual practices. Like, you're kind of opening yourself up to a spiritual realm that is not good. Mm -hmm. So, like... I don't know. I had never really thought that, like, oh, there could be, like, spirits or beings out there that are not good, like, that are actually evil. Like, I didn't think that really evil would even exist until the COVID and all the deep research and, like, all these people dedicating their lives to Satan. And I'm like, if Satan exists and is, like, real to people, then, like, why would God not exist? Like, the Bible's the only thing I know, really, that, like, directly talks about Satan. Like, if people worship Satan, maybe I should go read the Bible. So all these things kind of coming together, it was like, I remember one day just, like, thinking of the peace. Like, when when the Bible says that Christ gives you this peace, like, above all understanding, I genuinely felt that one day, and, like, just, I was laughing. Mm -hmm. Just, like, pure joy welling up, and I was like, Yeah, I don't know how to explain it. It just is like a spiritual experience of like I am giving up my entire life to follow Christ from here on out, like whatever that means. So that was like the beginning. And yeah, I started reading the Bible, just like keeping my mind and my heart open to like what it was saying. And at the same time, I was like, if I'm going to go back and read the Bible, then I have to keep my mind and my heart open to the Book of Mormon as well and like the Mormon teachings because like I turned my back on that. I turn my back on Christianity. If I'm going to open back up to Christianity, I have to open up to what I grew up with. 
And that was actually my question was, did you do that? So perfect. Yes. Yes. Because like I can't be a hypocrite, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, just like reading through the Bible, I had like my Mormon beliefs from childhood and like their teachings in mind. And there were things that I read in the Bible that contradicted the things that I had been taught in the Mormon church. So I think the one that really shook me was I think it's in Matthew. I don't totally remember. But these guys are asking, like, if a woman is married to eight different guys, like, who is she married to in the afterlife? Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, like, you people will not be married nor given in marriage. Basically, like, you'll be like an angel. And I was thinking, if Jesus says that there's not marriage in the afterlife— why is it like this big thing in the Mormon church to have these like rituals and ceremonies to seal you together for all eternity when like Jesus himself said you won't be married in heaven? And so that mm-hmm. was something that stuck out to me like, huh, that doesn't really line up. Um, yeah, and there's other things, but I'm sure that you have questions. And would you, would you say that. that's the, the biggest one? Was that one or that's just the one that, that was came one to of the, the first of... ones? Okay. And that was like. Yeah, I think the most shocking because it was the first where I was like, I don't think I really expected to read things in the Bible that directly went against things I had learned in the Mormon church. So reading that was like, I believed my whole life that like, if there was a heaven and there was a God that who you were married to, you'd still be married in heaven if you were sealed to them. Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, reading Jesus say that you wouldn't be, it was like, oh, and, like, it doesn't say anything in the Bible about marriage ceilings, like, marriage ceremonies like that. So that was something big that just, like, I had never questioned before. And now there was something that was making me question it. Like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your story, um, at least that middle part of it, sounds very similar to an interview that Michael Knowles did, which was a, a person. Daily Wire? Yeah. Okay. Where there was a girl. I think she kind of grew up somewhat Christian, like ish, knew mm-hmm. about it, and then went into the whole new age thing. She thought she was like a star child from somewhere who I had come I to Earth. To, about. Yeah, and she had a podcast about it. She was like one of the yes. big new age people. Oh, her name's Angela. She's cool. Okay. That sounds right. She ended up going towards Catholicism. Okay. Because Catholicism does have that more, I guess, a supernatural element to it. They're focused more on the demons, that kind yeah. of stuff. So was Catholicism something that was on the table or maybe still is on the table in this journey that you're going on? It honestly has never even, like, piqued my interest at all. Okay. And from the things that I'm, like, learning or watching or reading or listening to— it seems like like the Roman Catholic Church is, I don't know, like people will talk about the Pope almost describing him like the false prophet in Revelations where it's like he looks like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. I think that's what it says. Mm-hmm. Where like he's this really famous Christian figure, but then like the actions that he's taking don't align with Christian values. So a lot of people look at him and are like, this is clearly a false prophet. Um, as for the actual religion, I don't necessarily know, like, the details or, like, the differences from just, like, I don't know, mainstream biblical Christianity. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I've never felt really a calling to go, like, look into it or anything. Okay. And where would you describe uh, your place uh, spiritually or religiously right now? Are you, like, I am settled with where I am 
Or is it I'm still looking and learning and I might because, you know, there's a lot of different branches within Christianity. Right. So are you still like I'm still figuring out where to settle on yeah. one or do you feel like I've arrived and this is where right. I'm meant to be? Well, I mean, I accepted Christ. I think it's like two and a half years ago now. And that's like a fairly long time, but I still feel like a little baby where I am. It's like the milk before the meat, you know, so Mm -hmm. I've been like really drinking, guzzling down that milk. And like maybe I'm taking little nibbles of the meat at this point. But yeah, when it comes to the different denominations and everything, like definitely I do see that as like a division of the body of Christ, just like the body of believers in Christ And I don't know necessarily, at least at this point, like what the differences are and what they believe in. But I mean, I, yeah, I trust God. I trust Jesus. So I've just been reading the Bible, like trusting that the Holy Spirit will reveal to me like what it means, what I need to be doing. And then also going to um, Centerpoint. That's the church I go to in Orem. And I think that they're just like a non-denominational Christian church as well. So, yeah, I really just focus on the Bible teachings and, like, my own Bible study and my prayer life and everything. But as for, like, believing in a certain denomination, I, again, like, haven't felt called or, like, an urgency to get into all of that right now because it is confusing. And I think that it does, like, it can be a source of, what's the word, just kind of like. Seem like contention. Yes, contention or just like not defiling, but just like kind of breaking down one's faith. Like I feel like if you go into these confusing territories too soon, when you still are on the milk, it's like you don't necessarily have the discernment to be like, oh, that is biblical or that's not biblical. Mm -hmm. So I haven't even ventured into those territories (laughs) yet. Got it. Yeah, this – just help me with the timeline a little bit. Mm. Uh, you go to college, so obviously that's about 18. What year is that in? That's the, 2015. Okay. And then throughout college, you slowly become disaffected. And then mm-hmm. is it kind of the after college time you spend a solid couple of years in new age type of stuff? During college, I think I kind of immediately jumped into the new age stuff. Okay. Because I like didn't have anything to fall back into. So it was like I wanted to immediately replace my Mormon beliefs with something else. So through college until like 2019, 2020 is when I was in New Age. So I'd say like five-ish years that I spent with that kind of spirituality. And then 2020 to now is when I really have been just like thumping my Bible. Nice. Nice. And going to Center Point that whole time as well too? Um, Center Point was more recent. I used to live in Midvale, so I went to a church up there. But now that I live in Orem, I go to Center Point, and then I was baptized in the river this last summer. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And you, okay, you were saying, I'm assuming you were, at, or at least your parents were probably somewhat on the conservative side, being a Utah oh, yeah. Latter-day Saint. Then you went lay, way liberal. Yeah. You got the USA shirt. You were talking about climate change and how the UN's <laughs> yeah. doing all this stuff. So I assume you are definitely somewhere on the conservative end of the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Where where are you now on more the political side? Oh, I'm definitely on the conservative side. Mm-hmm. Um, I are we do... doing like libertarian or? Again, I don't even feel like I want to like put a label or an identity on it because I do feel like 
I don't know. Maybe there's an issue that I might agree more with somewhere in the center or maybe somewhere more liberal. I don't know of any specifically, but I feel like people do kind of fall into a trap with like identifying so much with their political stance or like certain political leaders on that side that like they kind of lose their critical thinking ability. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I agree with Trump no matter what, even if like something that he does or says is clearly in the wrong. So, yeah, I don't like to like identify or like label what my beliefs are. But generally, when it comes to, yeah, like social issues or just things in the heat, like in the news, I take a biblical approach. And it's like usually that does lean more conservative, but mm-hmm. it's not because I'm like I'm conservative. It's because I'm like what – What's the biblical approach here? Like, yeah, what would Jesus's take be on it? Mm-hmm. Which sounds so cliche, but <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> but if it's true, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So you came on our page. Um, and so you are concerned about the UN, mm-hmm. uh, concerned about climate change in the sense of what governments are doing mm-hmm. about, quote unquote, climate change. Yes. And then uh, concerned about the church meaning the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, UN, climate change, Ten Climate Commandments. Yes. This is what you were coming – this is how we started interacting with each other. So I think we're at a point now where you can kind of present what your concerns are in that aspect. Okay. Well, yeah, because, again, I have been, like, diving into a little bit of the meat when it comes to the Bible, something that I specifically have been really, really interested in given world events and things that are going on is biblical prophecy, specifically concerning like the book of Revelations. And, you know, I I do kind of believe that like there are, I don't know, signs of the times, if you will, where like there are things happening on a global scale that have never happened before in history. And a lot of those things can coincide with the book of Revelations, where like Back in the day, you'd read that book and it's like, we have absolutely no idea what this is talking about. But today it's like you read through it and it's like, oh, that kind of sounds like like digital ID 2020 or like vaccine passports or like like I feel like the mark of the beast and like world government, like all the political leaders, you've heard them in different speeches saying like, we need a new world order, great reset, all that type of stuff. And that goes along with the biblical prophecy. So I've been super interested in those kind of events just to, like, not even put us on a timeline, but, yeah, just to recognize, like, things in the Bible that have been prophesied have not yet been fulfilled, but Mm -hmm. they could be being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. And, like, I think that that's important to just look at and notice and be like, where are we? Yeah, on the timeline of biblical prophecy, like, could you just be coming back really soon? Mm -hmm. Sorry, my laptop broke. Sorry. So, yeah, when it comes to, like, the UN, this climate agenda, I definitely see the way that it ties into revelations and Bible prophecy. So, I, yeah, do have these notes. I don't want it to be, like, a forever long presentation. But just, like, the, the hot topics. So, when it comes to the UN, like, just according to Wikipedia, they're this intergovernmental organization tasked with maintaining international peace and security, friendly relations among nations, and other stuff. 
So while I was doing my research, I came across this site called Latter-day Conservative, and it reminded me of you, so I clicked it, clicked on it. <laughs> and so he's explaining the UN, and he says, Most are not aware of the Marxist origins of the UN. Communists such as Alger Hiss, I hope I'm saying that right, Alger Hiss was an American government official accused in 1948 of having spied for the Soviet Union. People like him were involved in the establishment of the UN. And then, like, in 1971, on the Senate floor, the Senator Barry Goldwater from Arizona said, The time has come to recognize the United Nations for the anti-American, anti-freedom organization that it has become. The time has come for us to cut off all financial help, withdraw as a member, and ask the United Nations to find a headquarters location outside of the United States. So that's kind of like a little background on just like the UN as an organization, like clearly has some Marxist or like communist um, origins. Mm -hmm. And I guess to even supplement what you're saying, the communists were excellent at this. Like World War II, when you first start learning about World War II, it's Hitler and it's the Americans and there's Pearl Harbor and there's all this stuff. But as I've read more books about it, those communists were like... They were sneaky. Oh, for <laughs> they sure. They were sneaky. Yugoslavia and other places, and they were in the CIA. and mm -hmm. So they are very good at embedding themselves into it. And there was a certain appeal, especially for the more intellectual leader class of the communists to be have sympathies for them. Mm -hmm. uh, so FDR was like, oh, yeah, Joseph Stalin's cool. And then when Truman came in and he came from more like the working class background, he's like, uh, no, <laughs> Stalin is not cool. Right. So, Yeah. I could definitely see, I don't know, like, this, even World War II, I'm not, like, an expert. And I don't know this topic too much, mm -hmm. but this is all checking out for me. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah, you definitely have, like, the historical political viewpoint. That's not at all my expertise. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's cool to have this, like, supplemental information. Um, so, yeah, the United Nations, these days, what they're really pushing is called Agenda 2030. And it's basically these, like, sustainable development goals. So some other Christians, I don't have the site on here for some reason, but one site called it a recipe for global socialism. And then going off of that, like global socialism aspect, um, I have a quote from a former LDS prophet, Ezra Taft Benson. He was like really into this kind of stuff. But he said, communism is fundamentally socialism. We will never win our fight against communism by making concessions to socialism. And then, I don't know what year this was in. This was the apostle Todd D. Christofferson. In a general conference, he actually opened his speech talking about the 2030 agenda and, like, the sustainable development goals. Mm -hmm. So it's like it went from Ezra Taft Benson being like, no, no, no. And I think I have other quotes here from him about the actual United Nations. Yeah, he says, let us have no further blind devotion to the communist-dominated United Nations. So, like, it goes from that. And also David O. McKay, he was the ninth president of the LDS Church in a general conference in 1947. He said, unless the spirit of Christianity permeates the de deliberations of the United Nations, dire tragedies await humanity. So, historically, this was like a viewpoint of the LDS Church of, like, the UN is bad, it's communist-dominated, and we want nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. And then... I did 
just well, like Google Elias Church uh, United Nations. I knew mm-hmm. like the Benson stuff with communism stuff. I've been aware of that for some time and agree with it right. <laughs> uh, a lot. Um, and then I listened to General Conference, so I heard Christofferson, and I just looked up like two articles a little before we met. So mm-hmm. definitely not an expert on this, but I think Christofferson was 2015 that okay. he made that speech. And then maybe you have it on here on your timeline. I don't want to mess it up. But then the church hosted like the UN's conference in Salt Lake, which was the first time. I guess the church didn't host it, but it was in Salt Lake, mostly because the church was there in 2019, which was the first time it was held outside of New York City, their headquarters in the United States. Right. So So why did they go out of New York City? Like, was there a reason they came to? I think they like move around and do it at different places. And I don't know if. If it was just a certain branch of it, because it sounded like it was more focused on humanitarian type of stuff. I'm right. not that familiar with the the UN, but yeah, they had yeah. a conference in Salt Lake, which hadn't happened outside of New York gotcha. before then. And that was in 2019, I think. And was there like ties, like was the church supporting it or like partnering with it? Or was it just like a coincidence that like, oh, they came to Salt Lake? So this is this is from one Desert News article I read okay. like this morning. Okay. <laughs> but there was a guy who is a member of the church and he works at the UN. Oh, and so okay. he kind of said, oh, like the church's humanitarian stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you guys line up really well. This seems great. And did things to kind of promote. And he wasn't like the church told him to do it. He just said by himself, this seems like a good idea. And ended up being there. But I do know that Christofferson was like talked to that guy. And then after he gave that conference talk, they called mm-hmm. him. And we're like, he he said that in his talk because of his conversation with you. That's so cool. And he's oh, like, yeah, okay. I know. That's so cool. Yeah. So. That's just one article <laughs> right? that I read this morning, but yeah. yeah. No, pertinent information for sure because I actually didn't know that. I don't mm-hmm. have that on here, so that's good. Um, but, yeah, so it, it, like, starts with this historical attitude towards the UN of, like, this is not good. And then recently, yeah, this is Salt Lake Tribune from 2021. In late February, the church gave $20 million to UNICEF, which this is the United Nations – International Children's Emergency Fund. I believe that is what it's called. And it was for the COVID vaccines. And it says in the article, these are laudable goals, but not all church members are happy about the UN ties. Indeed, to many of them, the global body is a communist front or worse, a symbol of the biblical antichrist. And it says their relationship looms as a betrayal of the vision of past LDS prophets, particularly Ezra Taft Benson. Mm -hmm. And... This is the latter-day conservative guy who was saying that the sermon's decrying that that organization ended. Oh, the sermon's decrying that organization, the UN, ended with Benson. Yet the UN today still continues to further that same agenda, which those former church leaders opposed. And then he was saying, like, the way that the UN operates, it started like everyone was kind of against it. This is anti-American, but they've kind of got their PR together and they've kind of rebranded it as like this really sustainable, like full of light, love and peace type organization. Like they're going to heal the world and bring unity, Mm -hmm. but it's still the same like driving forces behind it, which reminds me of what the Bible says. This is in 2 Corinthians 11, 14. It says, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 
So there is this sense of like deception where these dark agendas can put on this cover of like, we're here for your like the best good of everybody. Um, It even brings to mind like the BLM where like it's a noble cause. And then you find out that they use the money to donate to like Democratic candidates and stuff. Mm -hmm. And none of it went back to the black community. It's like one of those types of things. But yeah, for me, it like begs this question of how did some prophets disagree with the U.N., but then now prophets are agreeing with them and actually donating like tens of millions of dollars to them. It's like did. Yeah. Like, was it God that changed his mind or like are some prophets doing these things not as like God's direct revelation, but more like they're following their own voice or their own opinion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to me, especially because they're donating to these COVID vaccines, which, you know, I think is really a a topic in the heat of debate. But like there are known health issues and like the science around that has come out. And yeah, it's like if the prophet is donating tens of millions to this and like encouraging the members to get it and then people have like, yeah, health complications or like BYU specifically, Richard Harward had to stop his basketball season. It was his senior year. And it was like kind of these mysterious heart complications. And Mm -hmm. then there was no word about it again. But like people are all commenting on his Instagram. Like we know that heart complications come from the vaccine. Like they should have never made the athletes get it. Like all that kind of stuff. So yeah, two different topics kind of interwoven there. But the church is donating millions to the UN for this you know, agenda that I do feel like was anti-freedom where it was like, if you don't get the vax, you can't play on the basketball team or you can't travel. You might lose your job. You can't do this, this or that. And it was a way of kind of like stripping people of their rights and their freedoms. And so then, yeah, to see the prophet, one, donating to the UN and two, supporting this kind of like anti-freedom agenda, that ring alarm bells in my head mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts on that <laughs> yeah i'm i definitely hear and, and share especially like communist stuff many of the concerns that you have and i think definitely statistically evidentially there are people in the un that are very excited about having lots of power agglomerated together um we definitely should look at the book of revelations to try and figure out what's going on although i would say it seems very difficult to <laughs> pinpoint down right. very well exactly what it's talking about and assigning different um, things to different prophecies in Revelation. Um, because of my lack of knowledge of the UN, actually, let me back up about the church and politics because this is very interesting because the the church has to be political to an extent because they need to work within the bounds of political systems to try to achieve their goals. And I think in terms of revelation, there is an allowance for them to try and do what they think is best. And so an action, especially a political type of action that the church takes, might not necessarily be the best one out of all their possible options. But the Lord is allowing them to have that growth and development and Mm. try and do things for themselves as much as possible because of our 
Elias philosophy of we're trying to progress as part of the mm-hmm. obviously come into communion with, with Christ and be saved by his grace is one of the major parts of that. But the purpose of that is for us to grow and develop. So he allows people to try and figure out what to do by themselves and then we'll direct them if they're getting too off base. Right. So uh, I, I think – and this goes to members of the church too that, and people that we see on our Instagram. I think people get a little too excited about deciding where is the line for where the church is going off base and is now not the true church anymore or is being led astray mm-hmm. or any of those. It's like you don't know that because you don't know – even this specific situation, all the details of it, and then you don't even know into the future what that's going to look like. Right. That being said, I do share all those same concerns. And I kind of think Benson happened at about the time where the church was shifting from being mostly in the United States. Gordon B. Hinckley, it was like the mid-90s or something, about the time I was born, that he announced, I guess you could say, a general conference oh, we've crossed this line where now more people live outside of the United States than inside of the United States. So I could definitely see the motivation for a shift in focus from kind of talking a lot about the Constitution in America and Mm -hmm. communism versus us and that kind of stuff to making it more worldwide. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to go more worldwide with humanitarian type of stuff, you kind of have to bump into the UN eventually. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily like, yeah, give them 10 million more dollars. That's what we need. Right. But I'm like, eh, I could see it being a, a useful thing that the church might not be able to accomplish what it wants to accomplish humanitarianly wise right. without being a partnership with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that is, it's like one of those gray areas where you don't really know, like, what is the line between like working under global law and like doing what you can in the most effective ways to help as many people and like, yeah, is partnering with the UN and donating tens of millions too far? Like, could that money be used in a wrong way? Like, are we even positive? Yeah, that that money is going towards what they had sent it towards. Like, Mm -hmm. who really knows, I guess? I mean, there are people who really are good at tracking that type of like money thing. But it's not me. Yeah. But <laughs> not me either. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I, and this is not based off of anything besides just generally my sense of how the church runs. I'd imagine they are tracking that fairly rigorously, the right. money that they donated. Right. But you are correct. They did do like COVID vaccines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding was that it was for other countries. Okay. Although, I mean, if the COVID vaccine has negative health effects, it's going to affect Africans Everyone. as well yeah. <laughs> as the Americans. But right. I, I'm just not seeing like anything that would involve, apart from the fact that BYU had a max mandate, mm-hmm. which I don't think came from like Nelson specifically. Right. I think BYU is allowed. Some people say you can't criticize BYU because it's led by the church and the prophet. It's like, dude, he he's part of a 16 million member church. Yeah. Like he can't make every single little decision. That's why we have all the middle management yeah, people in any large company or in the church. And so there's certain things that Worthen, President Worthen, President BYU makes decisions on right. that do not go through approval from whoever is above him because they've got so much stuff on their plate. Right. And he he's being paid. Like, he's experienced. He can make choices, he's a big boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and do stuff by himself. And it's mm-hmm. not necessarily every single little thing is by revelation from the Lord. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I think that that's another important question and like distinction of how much of BYU's choices or, you know, BYU, BYU-I, BYU-Hawaii, mm-hmm. how much of those choices actually are in relation to the church? Like how much comes from, yeah, like church guidance or guidance from the prophet himself or how much is just like you're running a school and you have to make a decision where, yeah, I think that that does confuse people or like make people feel emotional in different types of ways about it. And if there was more clarity there, like that probably would be better. I don't know how they would do that, but I don't know. Because people will get mad at anything anyways, even if there is clarity. But I do feel like that could help. Um, but yeah, so so the the church donated to the UN. That was in 2021. And another quote said that it's the single biggest contribution so far from a private sector partner toward the effort. So the church actually donated more than anyone else. Um, and, yeah, I'm pretty sure BYU Hawaii was actually requiring vaccinations. I'm not 100% on this. I'm almost positive. Yeah, so then that's um, another thing. Like, I have even bigger issues with Hawaii than with BYU. Really? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, different management, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I do remember um, Russell M. Nelson, he made a, like, a statement and, you know, everyone says like this. He didn't say like this is revelation from God, but he did make this one statement that was I think there was like a worldwide fast. He had everyone do like at the beginning of COVID to like find the answer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when the vaccine came out, he was like, this is the answer to our prayers. This is a godsend. And then like time fast forwards and you see like there's all these negative health effects and people who got the vaccine still can get sick. They can still pass around covid yeah all the freedom stuff and people are just wondering like that doesn't seem like a godsend like why did my prophet say that this was a godsend because like in a lot of conservatives eyes it's kind of the opposite you know Mm -hmm. so i think that's another point that's like confusing um but yeah so that was that And then fast forward September 15th, 2022. This is again from the Salt Lake Tribune. And it says the church makes its largest ever humanitarian donation, helping to fight the world's seismic hunger crisis. The $32 million donation to the United Nations World Food Program is the church's largest one-time contribution to a humanitarian organization. So it's just another thing where, like, they're giving more money to the U.N., how much of that is just like this is the best way for us to do the humanitarian purposes and how much of that is like we're aligning ourselves with the UN, which we know historically to be a communist-oriented organization. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then in March 2014, so this is a little while ago, uh, the LDS Charities was featured during a United Nations event. This is on the church's website. But one of the lines that stood out to me was, It says, every major world religion has at its core the same great truth of loving one's brothers and sisters and serving those in need, the golden rule. Which, again, it's like one of those things, it's like, oh, that's beautiful. Like, we all have, like, a common desire at heart. But then on the other side, I think, again, of that verse from 2 Corinthians where it's like, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And it's like, these statements sound pretty, but are they actually godly at the core? 
And I feel like that's where it comes into, like, the Bible prophecy aspect where, yeah, I prophesize, like, the one world religion, a one world government. Um, and it says that this is from gotquestions.org. It's a Christian ministry. So it's talking okay. about Revelation 17 verses 1 through 18. It talks about the great harlot. And, like, this is the way that it describes the one world religion um, in the Old Testament Harlot was used as a word for or like a metaphor for like a false religion. Mm -hmm. So it talks about this great harlot and it's saying that the alliances forged by the false religion will unite church and state as never before. And I feel like that's what I see, like what you were bringing up earlier about the climate thing is that it is seemingly this big unification of church and state where they have, you know, these political organizations putting on an event but in order to kind of push it out to all ends of the world, they're getting these different faith leaders from all these different walks of life and different religions and making it into this one big thing where it's like we need to repent because of what we've done for the climate. And like mm -hmm. they make this whole biblical symbolic action by like attempting to recreate God giving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, which it's like. That's obviously blasphemous, but, like, they went there. At least they tried to. I think at last minute the security was like, nah, we can't actually have you do this. But they intended to go to Mount Sinai, climb up the mountain, break tablets, and then repent for the climate and give these new ten climate commandments. And it's like I feel like any Christian would be able to see that and be like, whoa, like, that's – that's a little far. Like, you really have to reenact the whole Mount Sinai Moses situation. And, like, we don't need a new Ten Commandments. So I'm, like, looking through the different partners who, like, put on this event. And it sings, like, the popes. And I'm, like, of course, like, they're kind mm -hmm. of, like, related to this kind of false religion aspect. And then I see things like the Rockefeller Foundation and, like, the Carnegies. And I don't know how much you know about them, but, like, historically they have not been great people or organizations. And they're all, like, donating or, like, helping put it on. So I'm like, oh, like, of course. And then I'm scrolling through and, yeah, I find people like um, – who was it? Elder Holland? I think it was Holland. Yeah, there was Holland and Holland and Bednar, Bednar. was the people you, yeah, that you brought up. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I did not expect this at all. But, like, two of the quorum of the 12 are actually involved in this. Like, I don't know how involved, but involved enough for their names to be on these websites. And I feel like Bednar must have been more involved because it was on the website saying that mm – -hmm. I don't know where I have it. It says – I know there was – well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So there's somehow the UN is part or associated with this uh, 10 principles of climate repentance or mm -hmm. it said something like that. And it was this document that was put out recently. I think this was mm -hmm. October, November. And there was a institute called the Elijah Interfaith Institute that you – looked at that was one of the people that worked on this and mm -hmm. one of their 
body of religious people that is part of this was Elder Holland. Right. And then on the website itself for like this specific document, mm-hmm. it said list of contributors and had this big long list of all the people. And they said Elder Bednar, Church of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay, so what's – and that's the ceremony that you're talking about. They had these ten principles. They did some sort of something. There's actually a video of it. That's mm-hmm. like hard to find randomly <laughs> and it only yeah. has 2,000, less than 2,000 views where they read these off where Mount Sinai is believed to be and were either going to or did do like a breaking of the Ten Commandments type of thing that was supposed to symbolize something. I don't know. <laughs> right. So that does sound a little weird. What's your main concern with the actual document itself? Before we discuss Holland and Bednar. I mean, it's not as much that I have issues with the document. Like, like they went from kind of advertising it as like these new Ten Commandments to, oh, these are just principles. Like These are just ten principles for the climate. That's actually a question I had because you've been saying c- commandments uh-huh. and I've looked a little bit here and there. I never saw it called Ten Commandments for mm-hmm. climate change. But I do know that you said there was a document that they had before and then they changed the wording on one. Yeah. So are you interpreting it as Ten Commandments because they were doing the symbolic Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai thing uh-huh. with it? Or was it actually called that at some point? I do believe that because I was looking at like the Israeli Times and these other news organizations. And I do believe that it said the commandments in there. Unfortunately, I don't have the Wi-Fi and I don't have these things written in my notes. Okay. But like – that's for sure something that I'll go check after this and, like, send you the receipts or I'll say, like, it literally doesn't say anything about commandments and I'm dead wrong. Mm-hmm. So I will check up on that for sure. Well, like, when I typed it in, I kept getting the principles. Right. I never got the commandments right. type of thing. So Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to look because, I, yeah, I could be wrong about that. Mm-hmm. I'm under the impression that there was at least something that said the Ten New Commandments or else I don't think that I would have just been like, oh, my gosh, the Ten New Commandments. Like, there was something I saw that triggered me to be like, what the heck? Well, there's definitely the symbolism. Oh, definitely it. the so, symbolism. Yeah. Um, speaking about Bednar and Holland specifically, this is kind of what you jumped in the comment section for us to talk about a little bit. Yeah. Because we had a climate change post. You didn't just, like, pop up into right. a, a random post that we made. Um so I kind of looked at it a bit, and I'm actually not – I'm not buying that part of it. What part? The Bednar and Holland being a part of it type of thing. Okay. So the thing with Holland is this document was put together by a couple different people. One of those is the Elijah Interfaith Institute. Mm-hmm. And then one of the people on that is Elder Holland. Mm-hmm. So we have, a num- we have like degrees of separation. Right. And it would be kind of like saying – because um, President Worthen put out some sort of thing, that means this professor over here in the psychology department was involved with it. Right. To me, that's kind of what you're saying there with, with Holland. So I'm not like, oh, Elder Holland put this thing together. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that part. The Bednar thing does look more concerning at first, at least. Right. Because it said, here's the list of people that worked on it. And Elder Bednar is one of the people. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, Elder Bednar worked on it. This is not good. Um, but the thing is, and it's funny, it's actually my knowledge about this also comes from climate change. I remember watching a documentary where 
Part of it included these scientists whose name had been put on these giant IPCC reports that have how many tens of thousands, 97% consensus. Mm-hmm. Look at all these people that agree with it. They're all experts. And it's like, no, actually, I'm just like a geologist that published the paper and you sent me an email asking me a clarifying question and I responded to it. And then you stuck me on the report because I was involved with it, you know. Right. Please take it off is also what they would say, what kind of the scandal was with that. So I I was like, I think they're just putting anybody who participated in this as part of it, mm-hmm. even if they didn't work on it per se. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the funny thing is, since we are part of Cougar Chronicle, BYU Conservatives, kind of like our news site is Cougar Chronicle, I was able to email the Elijah Institute as a reporter, no I wasn't intending to write a story on it, mm-hmm. but I just said, hey, I'm with Cougar Chronicle, Brigham Young University. I saw their bednar on here. Could you provide some explanation? And what they oh, – this is a different paper. What they sent back was, thank you for your interest the church as a church was not involved in this process. However, Elder David Bennar responded to questions posed to 50 leaders of all faiths and provided an LDS perspective. This included making available multiple LDS statements by various church authorities. These provided important input into the process of finalizing the statements and helped give it its final shape, which was then shared with Elder Bennar as well as Elder Perkins. Um. And that was from the office manager. Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm pretty sure Elder Bednar was involved, but he didn't work on it. It was more like, mm-hmm. hey, you're part of a leader of a faith that we haven't reached out to yet. Could you send us some stuff? And he's like, hey, secretary, could you send him the church's sustainability stuff? I don't know why they can't Google it. And then they send it over to them. Right. And then they're like, cool, thanks. And they read it and use it or don't use it. To make the report, and then once they make the report, they send it back and say, "Hey, we're sticking your name on this. Thanks." Another right. there's like, "Cool." <laughs> right. So, I think from what I can see, I'm not buying like the getting freaked out too much. At least over the church's involvement in this thing, yeah. it is still a very weird. <laughs> Why are we doing a Mount Sinai? Why are we also having a list of 10 things? Why is it about the climate instead of about people? Although when you read the principles themselves, it is like a human-focused sustainability statement. Mm -hmm. It's like we need to protect the earth because people are hungry or that kind of stuff. So I'm like, I wouldn't mind if it didn't exist, but I'm not opposed to it per se. What's your take on all that. So with the Holland thing, I think it kind of goes back to that biblical aspect of like the one world religion where I think that at least I, maybe other Christians don't feel the same way, but like I for sure am skeptical of interfaith organizations because I mean, yeah, it's like if you have the true church or you're in the true religion, why would you want to mix yourself with false religions and try to make friends? Kind mm-hmm. of in a way. It's like, where of God, those are false religions. It's false light. Like, I don't want to be interfaith, like, supporting each other type thing because they're teaching a gospel that doesn't save. And, like, it could potentially be their faults if people were not saved, you know? So that's my opinion on that. And that Holland is a member of an interfaith organization to me. 
even regardless of the climate repentance ceremony, like that still is a red flag. Maybe it's not like huge alarms going off, but yeah, still a red flag. And then with the Bednar thing, when I first was looking into this, yeah, the the website said, this was the climaterepentance.com website, and it says, this was November 22nd was when I saw this. Mm Mm-hmm. The following participants contributed to the creation of Returning to Mount Sinai, 10 Principles for Climate Repentance, and took part in the repentance ceremony. Uh So then it said Bednar, and I'm like, there's no freaking way. He literally took part in this ceremony. Like, that's absolutely nuts. I have to tell people about this. Mm -hmm. So then I start telling people, and I'm like, yeah, it's on this website. And I go back to the website, and it changed what the website said. To instead of saying and they took part in the repentance ceremony, it says or they took part in the repentance ceremony. I'm like, that one word carries a lot of weight. Like that Mm -hmm. is a big difference if they genuinely participated or maybe they actually didn't participate, but they were just involved. So, yeah, from looking at that, it's like, okay, well, now I don't know if Bednar actually participated in it or if he was just involved in the creation Either way, though, I do still feel like it is odd to be aligning yourself with, like, such a big political agenda. Um, Yeah, especially given, like, the one world religion or one world government type things where it's like they, they paint this pretty picture at first of, like, we can help the planet, like, climate change. But I feel like it's one of those... Again, BLM type situations where on the front and like on the surface, it's like, oh, we should all help the planet. Like, and they were saying too in the repentance ceremony, like, we are all tasked with taking care of God's creation. It's like, of course, I definitely agree with that. But the climate change agenda as a whole, it like, it kind of starts like this and they like get you emotionally attached. And it's like, this Mm -hmm. is a really good cause. And then. You know, it turns into these things like I have um, a couple of headlines where it's like, okay, this U.S. company, this is from Merco Press, U.S. company wants to make 3D bio ink printed meat for human consumption because mm-hmm. it's like there's this facet of the climate change thing that is like humans shouldn't eat meat anymore or like cow farts are ruining the environment mm-hmm. or whatever. The Independent says, cut meat consumption to two burgers a week to stop the worst of the climate crisis. So it's like it kind of starts as like, let's come together and save the planet and could very easily like if you give them an inch, they can and very well might take a mile where it's like it starts as let's save the planet, do these good things, like be mindful and turns into like, oh, you ate more than two burgers this week. Like your social credit score is showing that you like went over your green budget, per se, I don't know, mm-hmm. and, like, you don't have access to your bank funds anymore or, like, you can't go to this grocery store or different things like that where it starts off, yeah, as this really peace, love, and light organization and cause and then turns into something where people's freedoms are being stripped away, like, the same way that with COVID they kind of did the same thing where it's, like, think of your grandma. Like, you don't want people to die like unnecessarily just like mask up and then it turned into like you can't leave your house you need a vaccine to be able to go to work all of that different stuff that started stripping people's freedoms and i feel like aligning yourself with it now 
especially as like a big religious figure or like a part of a church who has billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, it is just like kind of this snowball effect toward what could be a bigger, more antichrist-like picture, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. I guess the question is, are you concerned that the church is becoming associated with antichrist stuff because you're an ex-Mormon? Which, if we're going to go with the stereotype, is like a very antagonistic person towards the church, if if that makes sense. And right. I know you you do have to be succinct in social media, but you do have, it might even be pinned, a little video where it said, the church is a cult, and I realized that, and I left. Mm-hmm. But you seem to have fairly warm or at least uh, willing to engage with it rationally mm-hmm. with the church. So, like... Where are you on this? <laughs> with right, because if it because I know you've said stuff about like there's Freemasonry, there's Joseph Smith, there's polygamy, and that's all very occult and bad and stuff. And the church is still in it today, and it is a cult. Mm-hmm. But then you seem to be talking about it respectfully at the same time. Right. So, well, yeah, I mean, I feel like my I'm not even biased, but it's like I lean toward information. And, like, if the information says something, then I will say what the information says. And a lot of the times it's, like, I can say real information from church history and people will paint me as an anti-Mormon. And I'm, like, no, like, this is genuinely the history. Like, I read this from the church website or, like, I read this from a Joseph Smith, um, like, journal or, like, a speech that he gave. Like, I'm not being anti-Mormon. I'm just showing you that this is what has happened in your history and maybe you weren't taught about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I do think that there is this picture that gets painted onto anti-Mormon or to ex-Mormons. Like, yeah, you always hear the phrase like they can leave the church, but they won't leave the church alone. Or like, yeah, like they leave the church and then they just like hate the church. They can never let it go. And I think that that is a misrepresentation, like being an ex-Mormon myself, where it's like you learn things that shock you and that, like, you, your leaders weren't honest with you about and you believe them and you trust them because it's your trusted spiritual leaders. And then when you find out this information, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, I was literally lied to or, like, they withheld this information. Like, I feel betrayed. And it's like, I need to go warn other people of, like, what I learned about. Like, did you know that Joseph Smith had, like, a 14-year-old wife or did you know that joseph smith was a freemason first and like the temple rituals are almost directly the same as freemason rituals or like different things like that and it's so easy for i think mormons to say like oh that person's anti-mormon because obviously it's like painting the church in kind of a negative light and it goes against what you've learned as a mormon but i don't think that these people are against the church so much as they love the people in the church and would like them to have the information to make an informed decision, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So there is this stereotype put on ex-Mormons of like, they're terrible, they just hate the church, like don't listen to them. Like, yeah, like they're not saying anything of value because they just hate the church, mm-hmm. which I think it reminds me of like, what was it? when the, I think it was the CIA that like kind of coined the whole conspiracy theorist term. And it's like mm-hmm. someone can say something, you call them conspiracy theorist, and now no one takes them seriously. 
I feel like it's kind of that same thing with the church where like someone leaves, you label them an anti-Mormon and suddenly like nothing they say really has value anymore. Um, but yeah, what was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, you basically hit my question. I I do think that it, of course, is a stereotype and you have to take each person individually, both outside the church that might have left the church and then people who are outside the church looking at people in the church. Mm. But yeah, so I'm, this is not you or anything like that, but there definitely are people who are the, they leave the church, but they can't leave the church alone mm-hmm. type of people. I mean, I left the church at 18 and I'm still talking about it eight years later. It's like mm-hmm. people could say that about me for sure. But like I have family and friends, like people I love and care about who are in the church. And like, I want them to know the same information that I know so that again, they can make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, it does differ a lot coming from a place of love versus a place of not, but there are definitely a lot of people mm-hmm. who, and people in the church aren't perfect either, but there are definitely a lot of people who have left the church who get very excited about mocking, belittling, attacking, yeah. um, right. trying to pull people away from the faith, not necessarily mm-hmm. to make their lives better, just because they were hurt by the church. They want other people to right. get hurt. Yeah. And I'll amend that statement. Get hurt while they were in the church. (laughs) Not necessarily because what even is the church if you're you're using that phrase. So there definitely is that aspect to it. Mm -hmm. But we do all have to be careful to not say, therefore, that's all of them. Yeah. Every single person inside of it. Yeah. And I do think, like you said, like people get hurt in the church. And it's, I think for a few years, even I was in that space kind of where like I was mad because, you know, I had dedicated 18 years of my life to the church and, like, living the way that they prescribed. And then to find out 18 years later that I had been lied to about stuff, it's, like, it's it's kind of traumatizing. And it gives you this sense of betrayal and anger. And it's, like, when you lose something that was your entire life and, like, your whole community. And, like, even, yeah, as a Mormon, if one of your friends, like, leaves the church or starts questioning the church, you look at them differently and, like— Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like you you don't just like leave the church, but you kind of lose everything in your whole life and people look at you different. And yeah, you lose your identity, your friends, your community, even potentially like your schooling. I don't know exactly how that works here. But yeah, yeah so yeah. I think people will leave the church and they have this deep grief that they go through. And obviously, you know, grief is this crazy process. It's not just this straight line. And for sure, I think anger is a big part of it. And there's a lot of people who leave and are extremely angry and I'm not condoning them like being hateful or like mocking or anything like that. But I do think that that's a phase people go through because it's just like, they don't really know how else to deal with their emotions. And like they've lost the people close to them that they could talk to before. And it's like, unless they want to go pay for a therapist, like if you can't afford a therapist, you're kind of just like left to your own devices Mm -hmm. unless you know other ex-Mormons. So yeah, I think yeah. that that's definitely a part of it. And then they will have like their own communities and stuff. And I know John Delin, Delin yeah. is one of the, the big guys in that space. But then you run into the problem of we're building a community around being against something. Right. And what kind of space does that put us in? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But and there, there is there like, especially if you're in Utah, Yeah. the aspect of I need to find a different community. 
yeah. now that I've left. Totally. Well, it's like what I did with the new age. It was like, I don't have my community. I'm in a new state alone. People think I'm weird for being a Mormon. Like, I'm going to find my own community and I'm going to go try to be a psychic and learn all this, like, spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it is like a knee-jerk reaction where... Like, I don't know, Maslow's, like, hierarchy of needs, but, like, love and belonging is one of the very core ones. And if you're rejected now from, like, what was your community your whole life, you're going to go find a community somewhere else, even if it means being with, you know, John DeLynn and these angry or, like, deeply liberal or whatever ex-Mormons who, like, for sure, they do have their own kind of demographic. I don't agree with all the stuff that he says on this podcast. Like, I do enjoy a lot of the episodes and I like the perspectives but like I do think that there is this trend to like leave the church and become deeply liberal like what I did for a while Mm -hmm. but ultimately I don't think that that's the best way to go Mm -hmm. so yeah and when I was talking to my wife not about you specifically because I've been interested in learning different things I was like yeah there's the a couple of YouTube videos about people who left the church and became the like the born again evangelical types and i was like there are i was like yeah apparently there are it's rare yeah okay you admit that it's rare oh it's totally it seems like, rare because mm-hmm. i mean for myself you just reject everything flat yeah out. you leave the church it's like you're taught that this is the true thing your whole life and then it's like well if they're not true and they are christianity which i didn't know that there was any type of difference between the teachings so it was like i left the mormon church that must mean all of christianity is wrong and like so then, like, there's no God or, like, mm-hmm. I don't even know if there's a God. And it's like, yeah, I think a lot of people usually will become atheist and just, like, hate anything spiritual or anything religious. And they start to depend really deeply on science. And that, again, mm-hmm. is, like, where that liberal type of view comes in. But, yeah, I think going from Mormon to Christian is really rare. And it's sad because, obviously, you know, whether... Whether even Christianity is false or the Mormon church is false, I still think, like, along the Jordan B. Peterson lines of thinking, like, living a life with a God and, like, this sense of morality is a better way to live than without a God. So it's like, even if it was all false, I still think it's better to have God in your life than to not have it. Mm -hmm. So I feel I have a heart for people in the church who are questioning or people who have left the church because it's like, I was godless for a while, and it did absolutely nothing good in my life. And then when I came back to Christianity and I have God, it's like it says in the Bible, like, when you accept Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what transforms your heart and gives you the ability to have the good works. So it's like when you don't have God, it's like you're not honest or moral or I don't know. It's like you just really kind of dive into these hedonistic ways which I for sure did for, like, five years. And, like, I thought it was great, but it didn't have great effects. And now that I'm with Christ, it's like, wow, my whole life has actually transformed. And it's not because I'm trying to follow a set of rules or, like, I feel like I need to be perfect or worthy enough to, like, attain something. But, like, it genuinely is just, like, God is transforming my desires. I have a desire for a better life, and my life has completely changed. Mm-hmm. And I I feel bad for the people who don't get to experience that because it is like a lonely road of self-gratification without God. So it, you, you're kind of in a – I'm just checking the time. Really. Okay. Yeah, we're we have, cutting it we have, close. Yeah, 12 minutes or so before we should head out. Um, 
So I have to think about what I want to bring up or not bring up because of our limited time. Yeah. And we can always do a part two, too. I'd be down. Yeah. I'd be down for that. You brought up um, what we need to do to be saved because I proposed, like, Mm. what sort of doctrinal things could we could we talk about? Because this is very interesting to me. And I've talked with a number of Christians, Catholics, and kind of an oh, open, okay. what do you believe, what do you believe type of conversation right. that have been very fascinating. We're kind of a little different because we kind of know what we believed, at least at one point. So I guess it could turn more into the argumentative type of thing. Hopefully but I don't. Arguing is not bad in the sense of presenting your side and the reasons for it Mm. that contradict the other person. Like you're still Mm -hmm. confronting them with opposing facts and saying they're wrong, but it's not for the sake of saying they're wrong. It's for the sake of let's exchange all the information that we can and hopefully for the listeners or for us in this room, Mm -hmm. at least get more information, if not change our mind about something. So you brought up the what do we need to do to be saved? Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll just do this for a little bit. Do you see uh, – well, the real question is, are Mormons, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, saved? I feel like that's a loaded question. Okay. Where I do believe that their saving gospel is different from what Christ teaches in the Bible. But, like, I am not – to be the one to speak for God and be like, he's not going to save you guys. Like, I don't know. He, mm-hmm. You know, he's perfect mercy and perfect justice. I obviously don't have that. So I have no idea what God would say, you know, in the moment, like on judgment day or whatever. But I do think that they teach different gospels. And that concerns me just because, you know, there is the potential that like my Mormon friends or family could not be saved. And like, I want them to know what what Christ says and like what the gospel, it literally means good news, like what the good news is and why it's good news, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So what do you, so you're kind of like, I'm not going to judge people, which I think is a fantastic approach. (laughs) Um, And I've heard both the answers to those questions. I've asked several different people. Mm -hmm. One person's like, well, it seems like it. You believe in Jesus Christ. And then another person would say, well, no, it's the wrong one. So obviously you can't be saved if you're if you're not believing in the correct one. Mm-hmm. And then the other person would say like, well, I'm Catholic. So mm-hmm. we have a view on people being saved for all of Christianity, not just for you guys. Right. And so what are the requirements then in your understanding? So in my understanding, like the gospel means the good news. The good news is that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus was resurrected. And like when you believe in Jesus, that faith saves you through his grace. And once you have that faith, it's like in Christianity, at least when you have faith in Christ, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. And like I was saying earlier, like the Holy Spirit transforms your heart and your desires so that you can become the type of person who is more able to overcome your sin nature and to do the good works, Mm -hmm. whatever they may be. Whereas, like, yeah, I feel like in the Mormon church, there's, like, actual steps and requirements you have to take in order to— and I don't even know if you would consider it be saved or if it's, like, in order to reach some degree of heaven, where, again, I don't think that that's something that Christians agree with, like the three degrees of glory. Mm -hmm. Um, It does talk about three heavens as in, like, the sky is the heaven, like where the birds are. 
uh, the planets and the stars and the sun and the moon, that's a heaven. And then the third heaven is like where God actually resides. So, yeah, I don't know. There's like similar similar phrases and similar terms that mean different things in Christianity versus the Mormon church. So, yeah, my view is that you are saved by faith alone. But I don't know. It's like like Christ says, many false Christs will appear. It's like if you believe in a false Christ, does that mean you're saved? Because in New Age, I thought that Christ was like Buddha, and I believed in that version of Christ. But like, mm-hmm. I didn't believe him to be God incarnated on earth who died to save me. Because I was like, I'm not a sinner. I don't need to be saved, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know? So, yeah, that's kind of my perspective. Yeah. What would you say to the—like, we have Acts chapter 2, where it's the day of Pentecost, and so all the people are— doing their thing and Peter starts preaching to them and they receive the spirit, they're preaching and all the people are pricked in their hearts and they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you and receive the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And then they all do that. And then they continue in sharing to the poor, going to church, going to the temple daily, all these things that it says. It's like, why didn't, if it's just a... Moment. Would you say it's a moment? Because this is this is one of the big theological things where you mm. declare like your faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ and your desire to access it, and mm-hmm. then He gives it to you. And from that moment on, your life is completely different, and you're you're guaranteed after that kind of an election yeah. type. Is that your? I would conception? not say that I believe in that. Okay. Like I for sure think that people can fall away. We're like. If you accepted Christ and, like, for a little while you were doing really good, like, it reminds me of James when it talks about the, um, like, dead faith versus living faith and, like, the faith good works type thing. It's like when you actually genuinely have faith, your life shows that fruit through the good works that you do, like, of your own will and your own desires. And when you have a dead faith, like, people can say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, like, they're not living a life that testifies of them being a Christian. I think, yeah, it's like you can say that you believe in Jesus, but if if you're doing the works of the devil every day and, like, you don't feel that guilt, you don't feel the need to go through, like, the repentance process and, like, give up your sin to live for Christ, like, I don't know if that necessarily would mean that you're saved. Like, it's very mm-hmm. different to give yourself a label than it is to actually live that label out, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. There certainly are the the born-again evangelical types that will say, uh, Mormons, nope, not saved. And then you have to believe in, like, the actual Jesus Christ and declare him, and then you're saved right after that. And I forgot where I was going with that. Like a, <laughs> like a, one, a blank. once saved, always saved? Yeah, or? well, and then they'll, this is, okay, this is where I was going with it. Then they'll accuse us of saying, you're a works type of people. You think your works are going to mm. get you to heaven. Right. Let me check my time to make sure. Okay. Your works are going to get you to heaven. And that's very bad. That's a heresy. Stop believing that. And just declare your faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, because right now you're not. Mm-hmm. And. My response to that is, I love the sentiment. Like, that's fantastic. Let's focus on Christ and and talk about how he was lifted on the cross and saves us in grace and all that stuff. Fantastic. But it's a little weird that you're telling me you're trying to do too much to be saved. Mm -hmm. But then to be saved, you're telling me to do something. 
It's like, wait, I thought you were just accusing me of saying you don't do something to get saved. But now you're saying I do need to do something mm -hmm. else that I haven't been doing before yeah. to now be saved. Like, Yeah, I think that gets <laughs> <come> confused <on. laughs> a lot. Because, yeah, like, faith produces good works. I think the confusion is that people will think, like, well, if you have faith and that faith is supposed to produce good works, doesn't that mean that you need works to be saved? But really, it's not the works that save you, but the works are the result of having been saved. Mm -hmm. If that makes more sense. Yeah. And it is, like, this little—it's, yeah, it's pretty gray and it's confusing. And I think it's really easy to, like, misinterpret it, but— yeah, I don't believe that works save you. Yeah. There is the difference between works save you. Like something about the good things I do go into the ether and access um, heaven somehow and get me there. There's that idea of it, which is sort of more the Jewish type of conception. Mm -hmm. Um but I think people impose that upon Latter-day Saints uh, in a way that's not fair because we're, we're kind of on the same page there of you, you do the good works and you actually have to work to do them. Mm -hmm. There's, it, it is a product of faith, but I wouldn't say like it just organically might happen because of faith. It's still a process that you have to mm -hmm. work for, which is why we're here on earth. Mm -hmm. according to us. So that part makes sense completely. You're actually working to change yourself in conjunction with Jesus Christ. He's going to do all the work. Like you're going to get 0% of the way there without him. But you still have to be doing the stuff in order to uh, access it. And not that mm -hmm. you have to reach a certain limit of give away this much money, right. pay your tithing this percentage of the year or all that kind of stuff. But those are the actions that kind of access that that grace that comes in and then does all the work of saving you. Right. So my question is about, I think it's the third article of faith. I feel like I have it written somewhere. Um, okay, yeah. So the Bible, one of the ones I like to refer to is Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. And it says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It's the gift of God not by works so that no one could boast. But then the third article of faith in the LDS Church says, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So it's like, on one hand, it's like you're saved by faith, not of anything that you can do. And then on the other hand, in the Mormon church, it's like you're saved by what you do according to like your obedience to laws. Mm -hmm. To the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Mm-hmm. But then an article of faith number four, they, they flow, is that what are those laws and ordinances of the gospel? They are first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, third, baptism by immersion, fourth, gift of the Holy Ghost, mm -hmm. exactly what Peter said in Acts chapter two. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have a theory, an alternate history theory. Um, in Matthew chapter seven, I believe, when Christ says... Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that yeah. doeth the will of my Father who's in heaven. Mm -hmm. My theory is that if that verse wasn't there, it wasn't in the Bible. You just, somehow it wasn't there. Jesus didn't say it at that time or got taken out, something. And it showed up in the Book of Mormon or a quote by Joseph Smith. Um, all other Christians, 
they would love to quote that scripture to tell us how wrong that we are. Look, you guys believe that Christ thinks that people who say, Lord, Lord, don't enter the kingdom, but they have to do the will of the Father Mm -hmm. in heaven, and they'd be so happy to quote that. They just don't quote it at us because it's in the Bible instead of in the Book of Mormon. And this was what what verse again? Um, I have it here. I can get it to you after. It's it's in Matthew chapter 7. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. And it says, Lord, Lord, then what? Um, Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who's in heaven. Which also sounds a lot like the ten virgins parable of there were five. They all believed that the bridegroom was coming, but five of them actually did stuff about it. And the other five were just like, la, 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 we're going to go to a wedding. This is going to be great. And then the five who actually prepared go in, the five who didn't come to the door. And he said, I never knew you. Right. Off you go. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was the I never knew you thing. Which, yeah, which is also in Matthew chapter 7. I didn't quote the next verse, but that also okay. shows up in there. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah, because they reminded me of each other with the Lord, Lord. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely I think do you just need have to, to get careful about starting to cherry pick <laughs> stuff. No, from the, absolutely. From yeah. the Bible. I think that the context is really important. And I think both Christians, Mormons, and atheists alike will cherry pick things from the Bible to prove mm-hmm. their point. Yeah, for sure. And then it's like if you look at it in context, it's probably saying something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I do like my study Bible that will tell you like the historical context and like yeah. how these verses fit together so that, yeah, you can kind of like get rid of those common myths of like what certain scriptures mean. But, yeah, I think definitely I'm going to go home, look at my Bible, and look at these verses and see, like, what it has to say about it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we can get together and <laughs> chat yeah. some more. But thank you. Great discussion. And yeah. uh, maybe see you next time. Yeah. No, I'd love to do a part two. All right. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>